the Six Pointer Podcast. Hello and welcome to this bumper edition of the Six Pointer Podcast. Um, first up, we'll be hearing from, um, back by popular demand, Kevin Smith, a uh, Crystal Palace fan. Uh, in part two, we'll have Sunderland fan Lee Usher. Um, and then we'll cover Crystal Palace's game against Sheffield United um, on Saturday. So at time of recording, me and here, Kev, very pleased to have you here. Back by popular demand, I must say, as well. How are you? I'm good, mate. Popular demand. I'll take that. Is that you saying come back, or is that? No, no. That's our listeners, mate. Our listeners. I've really enjoyed you. Your, your second. This is your second appearance on the podcast. Uh, our listeners really enjoyed uh, your first appearance. So, um, thank you very much for agreeing to, to, to come back on. Um, really appreciate it, mate. Um, I guess, given the fact that we're recording as it is on Thursday, the 30th of January, um, it's Thursday. Four o'clock. Yeah, right, yeah. Go on. Um, <laughs> You know, we're, we're 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 24 hours or just over 24 hours from the um, end of the transfer window. My view was, you, you know, I know you took the piss out of me a bit when I, when I when I said that's uh, harsh, mate. On our last podcast, I said, you know, I, ideally, I think we need a right back, left back, winger, and a striker. Yeah. As it turns out, you know, we've had some movement on that. I don't know if you want to talk any anymore about. That. I mean, Nathan yeah. Ferguson is, is is almost a done deal. Roy Hudson said in today's pre- press conference, the yeah. winger. Uh, Yannick Carasso is, was was debunked by Roy. He said we were never in for him. But we've had some breaking news. We won't be breaking, obviously, when this podcast goes out. But um, on, on the sort of the um, the, the, the winger front, mate. Yeah. If you want to talk to, yeah, talk about absolutely, that, absolutely. Yeah, um, I think you're talking about Jared Bowen, the uh, the guy from uh, from Hull City. Yeah. Uh, and if if that does come to light then I think that would be quite good business I think he's been tearing up trees uh, down in the championship with Hull for a little while and he seems to have been fairly consistent Um, I must admit when I first saw it myself about an hour ago uh, on uh, I appreciate you'd sent a note but I'd seen it as well on uh, one of the uh, BBC's things Um, I did my initial thought as I came off the central line was does that mean Wilf's going? Which <laughs> I, which I hope he isn't, and I'm sure he isn't. But uh, so I I think that could be good business, and and it was interesting. Again, uh, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but you sent some really useful information about two hours ago, actually. And when I look at that, I think we've brought in 18 players in two years. Yeah. We've only paid fees for six of them. We hadn't paid more than 9.6 million quid, uh, and 26 million quid roughly mm-hmm. on all of those players. Um, you know, if we if it does turn out that Ferguson and Bowen are coming, and let's assume it's not Sarah Ferguson, and uh, <laughs> and um, you know, and it is the actual Bowen and not Jim Bowen from Bullseye for those old fans, um, then hopefully that, that could be some good business for us. Um, so good stuff. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, in terms of obviously Palace fans' frustrations, I think over the recent years or so is that we've got an aging squad. So the fact that we're bringing Nathan Ferguson at 19 years old and Jared Bowen, I think he's 20, maybe 21 years old. Yeah. Um, that brings you obviously the average age of the squad down, and, and I think we'll appease a lot of fans in the sense that you know we're finally heading in the right direction. And you know, it's it's nice to see amid all these rumours around the sort of the American owners wanting to sell. Um, you know, some money being put into the squad, like like you alluded to. You know, 
Um, I think our, our, our biggest signing was was Alexander Serlot of, of, of sort of like yeah, nine, I, I nine think it's grand. Coyote at something nine nine points. Sorry, I, I stand corrected. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. But didn't we do well with uh, you know Serlot bearing in mind how many goals he scored? It, it's, it takes me back to Collymore back in the day. But you know, for you younger listeners, you won't know who Collymore was. But uh. <laughs> I think he's quite prevalent on Talksport now, mate. But you know, you know my, my views on Alexander Serlot are still obviously I, you know I've got an interest uh, um, yeah. in Danish Super League, so I, I saw him in Denmark and I was quite impressed with what I saw. I think there's a player there Um, and Steve Parrish went on record as saying that Crystal Palace can't afford to keep going out and and buying Andros Townsend's and James Tonkins basically ready-made Premier League players they need to take a bit of a risk and buy these younger players with a view to develop them and this fits in quite nicely with Nathan Ferguson and Jarrod Bone Yeah, I was going to say I think that's a real good call because I think uh, he's played about 21 games for West Brom this season and it, it took me back again when I saw because I must admit, I can't pretend that I knew the young man before it flagged in the last sort of 48 hours. But when I saw that he's played 21 games, it struck me a little bit of Wambasaka. And maybe they're thinking, right, you put a young man in, you give him the opportunity. If he flourishes, and let's be honest, if anyone's going to flourish, the Palace fans are, as we know, wonderful to giving young guys a chance. Uh, so, you know, it might be, uh, depending on what the fee is, sensible money. Uh, and who knows, he could be you know, the next wan I know he's got a long way to go, but you never know. And let's be honest, it'd be interesting to see what happens with West Brom if he's been a consistent all season and he's suddenly pulled out of that team. Yeah, so I, I think, to put a bit of context to that, um, I think his contract's up in the summer. So he could have gone via tribunal fee at the end of in, at the end of um, the season, but it, from what was it, reports and this is from people like Dominic Firefield, who's who used to be with the Guardian now with the Athletic. He's a Palace fan. He's a very well-respected journalist. Um, I think the, the, the details are that it's a four million pound upfront fee, raising to t- potentially raising to ten, um, which would far surpass you know any sort of. Um, fee West Brom will get bent over for in, in, in a tribunal and Palace fans have been there with John Bostock yeah, and, and people absolutely. in the past um, you know and, and that sort of negates the, the right back position because I think given Jara Riederwelds and I want to give some props to Jara Riederwelds because on Tuesday he was um, presented with the Crystal Palace Player of the Month uh, oh, okay. trophy which is, which is brilliant because I thought his performances as of late have been fantastic this yeah. month um, he's really stepped into that left back role and done really well and it's almost provided us with another option where I was thinking previously you know we, did, we need a right back and left back but I mean if we cover the right back role if you look at left back with Patrick Van Arnholt regains full fitness which apparently mm. he has as yeah. well along with Christian Benteke yeah. and uh, Andros Townsend Roy said in the press conference yeah, today yeah. although St. Tossen apparently is out um, yes. for a couple of weeks um, but he can't play against Everton Anyway. No, you can't. Um, so, I mean, I think the left-back position is kind of sorted now in the sense that if you look at PVA, maybe first choice, mm. I think Jara Riederwald has probably pushed himself second choice. And then at push, you've got Jeffrey Shalup who can, who can fit in there as well. I know I appreciate he's a long-term absentee, but um, I think that really sort of looks after that left-back position, as it were. And when you look at the right-back position, Martin Kelly, who, whilst I'm a big fan of Martin, Especially at centre back, I thought he was excellent. Especially compared with um, Gary Cahill at the start of the season. Um, at right back, it was he was starting to show such shades of a player being sh- uh, played out of position. So if Nathan Ferguson can come in, that will be brilliant to give us cover there. I've always said that you know Will Fernandes need a bit of um, competition on the wings. So if Jared Bowen can come in, I mean he can hopefully he can he can give us that as well. Um, what the rumoured uh, thing is, I, I appreciate this is again a day before the transfer window closes so this may, may all change but the rumoured um, 
price is 16 million pounds which really when you look at that 16 million pound up front four million pound for for, for for ferguson this is pocket money in today's age isn't it Absolutely. yeah i couldn't agree more i mean that is as you say that's small change um and I, I think that that can only be good from from uh from our point of view if that is the case because you know it, it's not as if i think boeing's been doing it for a few seasons down there uh which is good you know and, and so he's, he's he's proven at that level so let's let's see yeah well that says a lot and, and, and i think again and I might have got it wrong, mate, but I think PVA, I think we've turned down, is it three bids from PSV? I don't know how true that is, but, you know. Just, 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 yeah. just, just on that point, um, Boy was asked about this in, our, in his press conference again today, um, and I believe he said that it, was, it was pretty ridiculous because PVA is not for sale. It's, we've never received any offers. We're not oh, interested right. in selling them, so it was all paper talk, as apologies. you get at this time of year. Apologies, mate. Apologies. There's me trying to be impressive and, yet again, failing miserably. So, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, th I think, as you say, if those two bits of business come in, um, again, if I look at those, that information you shared, when you think how shrewd we've been over the years, over the last few years, with the, particularly the windows, and when you look at some of the guys we bought in on free transfers or loans, you know, particularly Guita and, uh, sorry, the keeper, and, uh, and obviously Cahill and a few others, and, you know, even Max Meyer, you know, there, there's, there's some good stuff there, and, you know, but you know, and I, I don't know if this is where you want to go with the podcast. But I'm going to take I'm going to take you on there on an angle. I mean, I think everyone laughed at me. I didn't say it on our podcast, but I said, I said to some friends about six weeks ago, just before maybe it was maybe slightly longer, just before Watford bought in uh, Nigel Pearson. Um, I said, and you you will laugh, so forgive me. We'll need 43 points to stay up this year. All right, now. If you look at the bottom, West Ham, I think, are outside the bottom three on goal difference on 23 points. I, I still maintain that third from bottom spot, you know, I think, you know, and for, uh, forgive me, you know, we sit 11th on, what, 31, 32 points? Forgive me yeah, for not being exact on that. That is quite tight across all of those positions and you only need three or four and I don't mean I'm not being like Dr Doom from a Palace perspective but if you get three or four bad results you know you're suddenly in the soup and um, I, I, I still think you know this isn't to talk about that I, I think it's really exciting that as there's a football season we can be looking at Europa League but we're still also looking over our shoulder and I think that's a great place for us to be and I think we're in a good position to push on. No, definitely, and also uh, credit to Roy Hodgson in the sense that he's almost been doing the job with one t hand tied behind his back. You know, Absolutely. in a sense that where you look at other Premier League clubs and what and they've been covered as well. Exactly. Yeah. No. Um, you know, the other clubs and, and in relation to the clubs that we're fighting against, what they're spending, it's 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 even more impressive the job that he's doing. Um, you know, like you say. Maddie uh, Saku, sorry, uh, Czech Kuse was our was our largest mm. signing. I think about was it nine? Was nine point six million? I think it was. It was rumoured to be about ten at the time. Yeah. So, um, if that is the case, then you know, fair play to Roy. I mean, he, he deserves all the praise he gets, doesn't he? And I mean, I, I know, I know, I think this is where the fans are divided slightly in, in the sense that there are a. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but I'll say it anyway. A younger generation of Palace fans that potentially haven't been through the, the trials and tribulations that, well, and you've been through a lot more than yeah, me, mate, I appreciate that, but um, I don't mean that disrespectfully. No, 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 um, no. I, you know, the, the, 
Could you pass my Zimmer frame just one? Yeah, I'm sorry, mate. Get it out of the way. We're, we're trying. Try, I can't move my pint for it. Um, but uh, I, I think that you know there is that that sort of especially and, and those fans tend to be more vocal on social media. And I made this point earlier in the week on Twitter as well that it seems that people could become hysterical at this time of year around sort of any transfer rumour that the rags put out there you know around the PBA rumours or nonsense around this Yannick Carasso which Roy completely debunked earlier in the press conference you know and I think there just needs to be, be a bit of sort of calming and a bit of calibration and, ju and just sort of think right we've spent this much we are in this position we need to appreciate the job that this bloke's done. And now, after this transfer winner's done, surely the main focus has got to be tying Roy Hodgson down, if he wants to, to at least another season or two in the, in the job. Yeah. Um, I have to agree, mate. I know I like to agree with you on this sort of stuff, but it goes back to you know when you gave me the chance to do your podcast before Christmas. I said then, be careful what you wish for, you know, because, again... You know, firstly, you've got to remember a lot of older fans won't necessarily even know what Twitter is because it took me a while to find out, all right? Okay. Uh, yeah, when you told me it was to do with birds, I, I was quite excited, but, um, you know, it was, it, it, it was slightly different to what I imagined it would be. But um, but on, on, a, on all seriousness, you're right, there is a lot of, his, you know, there can be hysteria around this time of the season. I think if we can get through, you know, tomorrow... And I know I don't want to sound like a bit of a saddo, but, you know, with no... Nothing happening with Wilf, you know, with us possibly bringing in the two young men you've mentioned, which I think would be a good addition. You know, they're going to learn from old pros like Cahill and super some super players around. Giroud's still out there as well, as, but he wants to stay in London. So if he's looking for a big club, you know, um, you don't need to go to Tottenham, mate. We're available. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I look at, you're right, If, if I, I'm sure Roy would want to stay. You know, it seems very settled with him and Ray, and and obviously the backroom. I think is is it Dean Kiley's involved? Dean or, Kiley, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, yeah. The, 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 these are good football people who know the fabric of the club, uh, and you know, we've talked about it before. You know, Roy being a Croydon man, he knows what this means to the community, and he knows what it is to be Palace. And and you know, we are. We're close, let's be honest. I know we joked about it, I joked about it before Christmas. If we're on the outskirts of pushing for Europa League, you know, and we're still doing that with what we've spent, what, what our resources are, you know, it deserves to be knighted. You know, behind, you know, possibly the Sheffield United manager, you know, who, who's done a fantastic job. Roy's done a brilliant job, but he's been there, seen there, done it. And he's, I think he's enjoying his football. I think from the press conference he said today on the bit I saw on the BBC, he's loving working with this group of players. And why wouldn't you? You know, if you're bringing in that young man who's come down from Scotland, um, you know, people want to come and play. Why wouldn't you want to come and play at Crystal Palace, you know, with what we've got? Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and just to pick up on your point in terms of other signings, I think that, you know, in an ideal world, we, we get a striker in as well. Uh, there's rumours that... Um, well, I said Giroud. Yeah. And I do there are rumours that um, Conor Wickham may either go to Bristol City or Sheffield, Sheffield Wednesday Bristol. on loan, which I think would be a, a good move for him. In that sense, if you're losing a striker with Sinkhausen out, you're only then reliant on Christian Benteke and Wilf who can play up there, really. But ideally, you want Wilf on the wing. So um, there's a chance that, you know, maybe we can bring in someone like, you know, Batshuayi. How long is... Tossing out for forgive me I'm, I'm not familiar with that is he my, my understanding is that he's just out for the Sheffield United game okay. but obviously the next game after that is the Everton, Everton game, game so we beat he's, be, he, sit out. he's exactly, not allowed to play in that list. exactly exactly so I mean that'll give him you know another week to come yeah. a full training to come back full fitness for the game after that which yeah. is 
I haven't looked at the far ahead. I, I couldn't tell you, mate. Yeah. To be honest, but um, yeah, I think it'd be very Palace, wouldn't it, on the last minute, last pretty much like um, last season to bring in Michi Batshuayi if Chelsea are um, you know successful in, in bringing in someone in the striking role. Obviously, with Tammy Abraham out, you've got to consider that. You know, they might not want to let sort of bodies go, but I think in terms of Palace letting people go. You know, I think we've got 20 first-team players now. We, if, if Bowen and Ferguson come in, that make 22. It's a 25-man squad. You've got, yeah. got, got a name, really. I appreciate we're out of both, cup, both, both cup, cup competitions, but if you want to be looking forward, I mean, how would you feel about striker-wise, Mitchie Batshuayi? Would you be happy with that, or would you think maybe we need to move on as a club? Personally, I, I would take it. I think that would be... Uh Good. I think he did. I think it did his career good last season. I think you know he, he fitted in well. I felt. Uh, I like the fact that you know he, he wants to say at Chelsea and fight for his position. That will be interesting. Depending, I'm surprised that you know we're 24 hours away from the end of the window and Chelsea haven't, as far as I'm aware, splashed the cash yet. Um, obviously, it will be interesting to see what does happen with Giroud going out. If Giroud goes out and they don't bring anyone in, I can't see how they're not how they would let uh, him come back. But I can't imagine if there was a chance to come and play, he wouldn't want to take it. Yeah. Um, why wouldn't you? Because I th again, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a season ticket holder. You're there week in week out. I get the feeling that the Palace fans were very good to him. I think he enjoyed his time here. I don't think there's many people who come and don't actually enjoy it if they get a, a sensible run. You know, I'm sure there will be any that your listeners could say, oh, Kev, no, these didn't have a good run here. But I think most people enjoy the experience because they love the feel for it. If you look at what Tosson said, I think, in the first 24 hours, I think he said, you know, Everton, great club, but this has a family feel. And that actually... and. That's what this is about. This is about getting the feel, and that, and 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 it still goes back to what you said ten minutes ago. We do not. People need to realise we're Crystal Palace. If we can be pushing for top six, top seven, we'll never get a better chance. Potentially, apart from then the year when we finished third and should have gone into Europe if Liverpool hadn't been let in a year early. But I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I promise. I promise. I'm not bitter. Um, you know, um, then I, th I think that'd be great. And, you know, if we can secure Roy for that, I think another year would be good. And then at least, and then we see where we go from there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, that people need to understand. I think around the January transfer window, there is a lot of frustration from fans around, you know, well, why aren't we getting this deal done, done, done sooner? I think that there is a degree of brinkmanship which takes place. And it's almost like, oh, okay, we'll wait till the last minute because then, you know, you may be able to command a higher fee. Or you know we're not happy to like, like in the Chelsea situation hypothetically they're waiting for someone to come in before they let someone go. Same with us, you know. I I, I can't see if if we if we don't bring a striker in, Connor Wickham isn't going to go anywhere. No, he's not. So I, that, that's another thing you need to consider that the, these situations and these problems, as it were, aren't unique to Crystal Palace. They happen to every club. And yes, whilst other clubs may have a, 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 a better financial backing. Um, in order to get these deals done sooner, um, it doesn't necessarily mean Crystal Palace are, are, are sort of lagging behind. And you've only got to look further down the, the league table and even down into the Championship. That you know, Derby County have sort of thrown money around and 32 red and 
I think it's been announced today or yesterday that the Derby County are now being um, investigated by the EFL for, for their dealings. You know, I mean, there's the whole nonsense. I think doesn't sit right with me around Wayne Rooney's transfer. The Does that mean he's coming to us, Rooney? He's, he's not coming to us. No, he's not, mate. No, but but obviously always popular at Celeste Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think not. I think, I think he got hit by a lighter once. Yeah, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big liar. It was a big liar, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we need to be to, to do any damage in him. But um, I think that, uh, that that you know that, that whole deal in the sense that you know. Thirty-two Red had this had this clause with Derby in, in a sense that you know if they made a star signing then then, then Derby would get more uh, sponsorship money, effectively pay him for the transfer. The fact that he's wearing number thirty-two, you know, it, it doesn't sit right with me. And I think that we we need to realise that whilst Crystal Palace may be seen as being conservative in their approach to transfer dealings. I think in the long term it's going to prove us right because the worst case scenario would be for Derby is that they're deducted 11 points and then they they end up going from a, a you know potentially a, a playoff position to a mid table and, and you know you only got to transfer that into the Premier League financial fair play I think in the, in the coming years you're going to see a lot more clubs being hit with these sort of penalties which is which is um, worrying for them but I mean we can sit there as Chris Ballas fans in our Ivory Tower sort of thinking well we're doing alright here you know, you're, you're bang on, mate. I mean, let, let's just talk about a points deduction. You and I both know, and I know we joked about it, you know, it's only 10 years ago, we had our 10-point deduction on flight up to Newcastle. Suddenly, we're, you know, we're pushing for, you know, under Warnock's stewardship, trying to get into the Premiership to suddenly fighting. And, you know, we all know what happened that last day at Sheffield Wednesday when we got the draw to stay up. You know... I don't want to sound like a broken record, but it is, you know, we have to be careful, we have to live within our means, which we do, Um, and, you know, it's a sensible model, whatever way you look at it, Crystal Palace, in my opinion, in the, you know, the, the 40, whatever, you know, the 44 years of which I've been watching them, you know, this looks on paper a very good model, it's working well. Yes, we can all go back to 1991 with Wrighty and Brighty and that. They were wonderful days, you know, they were wonderful days, but it came to an end. And I think this feels as though it's a bit more sustainable with Roy at the helm. You know, I, I don't understand, the, I don't pretend to know the position with the American owners, but, you know, we all know where we've been. And a points deduction destroys a club. You know, we, you know when I look back at those guys... And what they did to stay at Crystal Palace and keep us up that year. No one, unless you were there, and I wasn't fortunate enough to be in Sheffield, but a lot of you, you was, and your brother was, and everyone was. You know what, you know what that meant. We all know what that date meant. May the second, you know, two thousand and ten. Huge, uh, and that saved our club really that day because I think if we had gone, we would have been in freefall. With respect, and we're not. And I'm very fortunate that in my lifetime we went up in '77. I've never seen us playing lower than the second tier since then. And you know, Stockport, 5th of May, you know, Super Dougie, you know, saving us, you know. And we've been close a few times. And you know, I know I'm mostly boring people to death, but the bottom line is. Be happy with what you've got in life, you know, because the thing is, things can change very quickly, and when they do, it's very easy, like anything in life, to reflect it and say, do you know what, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd done that, and actually, for you younger Palace fans out there, this, trust me guys, this is good, 
enjoy it. These these are these are the golden days, and that's what I've been saying, you know. And and just to pick up on your point there, second of May, twenty ten, um, when the final whistle went, when Paddy McCarthy put that ball out uh, for a corner. Um, my brother, by the way, who, who, when the uh, the stoppage time board was 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 held up for six minutes, he turned around and said to me, "We, we were sitting about sort of I think about twelve rows from the back of the, of the Hillsborough away stand," and he said to me, "I can't watch it." Literally, tell me what's happening. I can't watch it. When that when that final whistle went, and you saw Sean Derry uh, and Paddy McCarthy and Johnny Ertel and all the boys running towards, that's the closest I've ever been to crying at a football match. And Shut it, up, you tar- I've it, cried so many <laughs> times. You need to get a life. You need to start crying more, mate, because it bring out the real man. So forget all this hipster beard you got. Start crying like a proper man. All right. Now listen. Before we go any further, just on the second. I've j- the name's just come to me. Can I just go on, shout go out for a legend? Clint Hill. Yes. That day, yeah, yeah. when that Sheffield fan came up to him and he nearly knocked him clean out. Clint, mate, we love you. You came in. You were, you were awesome, as was everyone who was there on the day. Sorry, it just come to no, me, no, mate. I was trying to think, who was the man who nearly... One of them wanted to fight yeah, him, and yeah, he yeah. he sorted them right. I think it was more than one of them, mate. To be honest with you, and uh, Clint's, Clint's got a special place in, my, place in my heart. And whilst there were rumours that he, I did love his brother Benny Hill. You know, for you old ones, <laughs> you won't know Benny Hill, but trust me, he was good in the day. But no, I, I think that Clint's got a special place in my heart. He was one of those uh, players that always gave a hundred percent. Um, and, and ever since he came in on loan, I think from Stoke City, and he was replaced by Warnock, um, replaced Lee and Court by by by, uh, by Neil Warnock. I think he's um, been a player that has always had my heart. I even had his name on a shirt as well. Well, I think it said a lot because unless I'm and I might be wrong, I think when Warnock went to QPR, Clint eventually moved to him. So so one that says a lot about the type of individual he was. You know, there have been so many good players in our day. Mm-hmm. When we've been in receivership, you know, people like Andy Linegan, who were Arsenal legends, you know, scored a winning guy in an FA Cup final in 1993, when Wrighty scored as well for them. You know, Andy Linegan, who played for us, some of these guys who played for us when Palace were on their knees, and I'm talking long before 2010, you know, there's, we're, we're a very, very blessed football club. Yeah. Our history is rich, it's deep, and we've got some guys who have given, given blood for the shirt, and we all know that's all that matters to Palace fans well we want to win but that's all that matters yeah uh, but, but just on that on that, on that point I, there was a rumour going around at the time I don't, I don't know how true this was that I think it was until after the, the, the was it the Scunthorpe game or, or it might have been after even when Paul Hart was in charge that uh, it came out that Clint Hill had already agreed or given his word to Neil Warnock that he was going to go to QPI and, and him and Claude Davies had a bit of a, a, a come into uh, in the dressing room but Despite that, I think Clint Hill is, 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 is a Palace legend. I mean, all, all of the players that played, even the ones on the bench that played in that Hillsborough game for me are, are, are Palace legends, and, and, and that's fantastic. But just to bring it back to present day, mate, if I mind. Yeah, there's, there's two. <laughs> that's fine, it's fine. There's two questions. Talk all day, you know the rules. I know, I know you can. There's, there's, there's two questions I want to pose you. At the moment, we've only got Sinkus and, and, and the kid from Scotland across the line, but I think he's, he's looking to go into done 23, so he's not going to compete for a first team play. So, really, we've only got one first team player. Nathan Ferguson looks like it's almost done. If this Jared Bowen deal looks like it's done as well, I mean that's three players, three first team players for the door. Would you see that as a successful transfer window, or would you think that another striker, Mitchy Batshuayi perhaps, or someone in that mould needs to come in for it to be deemed as a, as a successful January? Good question, mate. Um, I think if you can get those three over the line, I would class that as success. 
having said that, you know, like all of us, it would be great if we could get a, another person over the line. You know, if it was a Batshuayi, part of me looks at that and thinks, would he come if the likes of Ben Teke were fit and, uh, with respect, Cenk Tosin is only injured short term? Because I would have thought if he's going to come, he's, he's going to want that main berth. And uh, I would like to think... Um, with what I'd seen of Tosson when he's been fit, you know, for him to get that goal a few weeks ago was fantastic. You know, wonderful that he got that goal. Um, I don't know. Would would it would it upset the harmony in the camp which we're trying to build if you brought in another centre forward? I, it, it'd be nice to do it. It'd be a nice option to have. But again, you know, Benteke suddenly back fit. You know, not suddenly back fit. I know. Is there too much competition there? It was a nice place to be. So I, I, I think that if you get those three over the line, I would class that as a big success, personally. No, no, that's fair enough. And the second question I wanted to pose to you, I mean, just, just on that as well, I'm with you. I think that, that would be fast. I would like another striker, but then that negates on the whole Wickham situation. Um, given we spoke about Roy earlier, and you know he's out of contract in the summer, it's hoped that there's, there's contract talks ongoing to keep him at the club. If the worst case scenario and Roy left, is there a name or is 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 or, or is there a type of, of name because that we need to be looking at? Because I'm thinking you could go complete other end of the spectrum. And what Brighton have done, and I, I appreciate that Brighton backed their manager and, and, and it, they spent a lot of money and, and they're bringing players in. But that that it's, you've always got that at the back of Palace man's fans' minds, but the sort of whole Frank de Boer scenario yes. where we completely tried to. Change the ethos and, and the yeah. way we way we played. Um, you know, Chris Wilder, who's, who's, who's a young manager who's coming, who's, who's done really well, but he's got that connection with his club. I don't necessarily think he would perform that well in a different club yep. because of that connection. So, where would you think that Palace needs to be? I know, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's a bit of a poser, but no, no, where, no, no, where no. would you think that, or where would you like? Oh uh, it's probably a best position. Yeah. What rather do you think? Where would you like Palace to be looking for for, for a next? Next manager. I mean, this, 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 I guess, is a pertinent question given the fact that Roy's age as well yeah. is going to be looking to retire in the next few years anyway. So, Palace yeah. need to have some sort of contingency plan. I mean, you've got the Eddie Howes in the game, Bournemouth are absolutely plummeting at the moment, you know, um, and they've spent a lot of money themselves. Palace in the situation, you're kind of looking for, for a man who's a conservative approach, so kind of a, a complete approach, that, that same, same approach, or do you try the Frank de Boer scenario again? But you back him completely, allow him to bring in five, six players, and the Premier League money—we're talking fifteen million pound a player. You know that is big money. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? You don't do easy questions, do you? This is why um, you're on the pod, mate. Oh, I don't know. Why I'm on the pod, mate. Um, well, there's there's quite a lot you've thrown in there. So if you don't mind, I'll tackle them in a few areas just to try and buy myself a little bit of time to think. Um, First things first, let's look at the Frank de Boer thing. For me, Frank de Boer, four games. Five, I think, for the Ipswich game. OK, fair I, enough. I was Five. there for the only game that Frank de Boer won. OK, fair enough. Forgive me, I hadn't included that. I look at the Burnley game away that day, and we created 27 chances. And, you know, it was already a dead man walking before that game. Scott Downs, there were so many missed opportunities that I, I genuinely felt Burnley. for him. Yeah, you know, so many opportunities, so many things which he couldn't have controlled. I think, in fairness, I applaud what Parrish was trying to do, Steve was trying to do, um, but I think they panicked quickly. 
And whether that proved to be the right or wrong decision, you know, we'll we'll never know. But you know, I think it was sad because I think it showed a bit of ambition with what we were trying to do. But I think anyone would have said at the time, and again, it's hindsight's a wonderful thing. But four games, you you're not necessarily going to get it across. I think what De Boer didn't help himself with was. He may have endeared himself to the fans, but he never came across as charismatic or excited about stuff. And that might have been his nature. And you could say that Roy's not like that, but Roy's been there, seen it, done it. So I think, you know, that that's where I'm at with the De Boer thing. If you look at Eddie Howe, which uh, is a, a fair call, but ultimately, you know, Bournemouth have, as you say, are in free fall and they're struggling and they really are struggling. I think he's a progressive manager. I think he's a good manager. Um, you know, he went up north and was manager of Burnley, and it didn't really work. I don't know if that was because he went north. Who knows? Grim up north, mate. Yeah, it's grim up north, depending on which part you go. Um, everywhere north, everywhere north of the Thames, mate. Mate, everywhere north of the Thames, including Watford, um, especially Watford. As um, the playoff final go, all right. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I think you'll find that Zahar who's got that penalty, and it's Kevin who smashed it in. 2013, lovely time. Anyway, long time ago. Anyway, I move on. Um, if I look at Brighton, I was very complimentary about Brighton. As you know, a few weeks ago, Potter. Um, I think they're in trouble a bit at the moment um, because you're right, they have backed him. But I th- it goes back to the conversation a little while ago on the podcast. You know, the Premiership is it's it's squeaky bum time for most clubs at the moment. You know, um, so. Where do you go? Do you go progressive? You mentioned Where a name. You like? you well, you you mentioned a name earlier, so Palace fans might either go, "Oh my goodness, get a life, mate," or not. I would love to see Sean Derry start into. And I I don't know. I don't pretend to know how well he's doing with the twenty threes. I would love to start to see him getting a bit closer to what Roy's doing because actually, someone who knows the club is is good, and and this is no disrespect to Sean Derry whatsoever I don't know whether he's a big enough name for what people would want if I'm honest but I want someone who, who understands the fabric of Crystal Palace Roy Hodgson is a Croydon man he knows what you know Palace means to the community I, I get that Derry gets that Sean gets that as do some others I, I'm re- if I'm honest with you mate I'm really struggling to come up with this is where I'd like to go I think when when Leicester went for Rodgers you know big name did well in Scotland I look at Leicester City now and regardless of them going out of the Carabao Cup the other night that's a side that has the potential to challenge and and I think they were bold they were you know if you look at the way that club is run and what they've done and you know the tragedy which happened a few years ago but if you look at the way that is entrenched in its community and what Leicester do I think it's a wonderful model um, and I, I'd love Palace to be in that realms. You know, we talked about it last time. We're in London. We're, we're a big club. You know, we've been in the Premier League. You know, seven, eight seasons. London, it's a big pool. You know, and if you look at what we've done in the Middle East and various other places, you know, Crystal Palace is it's a popular name. If you look at the, <laughs> you'll laugh at this. You look at red and blue. You know, these are popular colours. These are things which are attractive well, to people. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 huge, you know. So, I'm struggling for an answer, mate. I, I really am, and I I, I don't want to be disrespectful to the many listeners who are mostly switched off already. But um, 
I'm, I'm really struggling. Give me a few more minutes to think about it. All right. That's fine. No, but on, on the Sean Derry point, it's interesting because he had his, his uh, brief um, flirt with, with management. I think was it Notts County? Was it Shrewsbury? Yeah, well? no, Notts County. Was Notts County, County, wasn't it? Right, and I, I think it started off well, but then, then went a bit south. And obviously then he's, he's obviously with the under-23s. And that is, as you, I guess, a logical progression, I think. At under-23s, you don't think that he's working with Roy. You know, maybe, maybe the next stage is keep Ryan for another season Derry gets promoted to first team coach learns a bit more about the job maybe and then that then that's in the position so I I agree with your point on Palace DNA I mean a lot of people are under the impression that Dougie Freeman's ready to step in the role I don't think that's going to happen I think the director of football role suits him quite well but go on Kev I I can see you're you're bursting here no I'm not bursting I I think what I was going to say is it'd be good to get who you think might be and that's not me trying to turn the tide on you to be a smart ass. that's me just asking your thought my view on Doogie, you know, we were at his testimonial. You know what I think of Doogie Friedman and that. If he gets these transfers over the line through, you know, and if that's come through some of that work, then that's really good. I, I, I hate to say it. I, I, I struggle a little bit with what happened. I still, yeah, uh, with Doogie going to Bolton when we were in such a wonderful position. And, and, and I know you should say quite rightly, get over it, old man, which is a fair comment. But for someone who, you know, let's be honest, is, it, is loved by the club, but was absolutely God status to, to, to do what he did. And, and I appreciate everyone does things for the right reason. And he would have done it for his family and everything and the children and everything. And I get all that. But it just makes me think... Would you go back again? That doesn't mean to say he wouldn't be good, but why leave a club when you're third or fourth, as we were? You know, let's be honest, Holloway only got us over the line just, you know, on that last game, and that's no disrespect, and he, he did it, and fair play to Holloway for doing that. But Doogie had done the hard work. It's a bit like Bruce all those years earlier, you know, when we were flying high, and then he wants to go to Birmingham, and fair play to Mr Jordan for doing what he did and suing him and that, but... So I'm, I'm struggling. Um, yeah, Doogie might be one, but I, th- I think he might be a little bit Marmite for a lot of Palace fans, depending on their feelings. And you all know what I'm coming from from there. Yeah. No, so that, that's exactly the point I was going to make. Mate. I think the Doogie again divides opinion among Palace fans. There are some people which 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 can't. And you know how I felt about Freeman. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm still a big Freeman fan. I think that because of the fact that he left Palace for Bolton in that situation, which. For Dougie's credit, there was an interview that he did with the Homesdale Online podcast. It's now the Back of the Nest podcast. Um, a few years back, I think, I think it was 2016, that he said that, I hold my hands up, that was the wrong decision. And he knew, he knew, he said that he knew as soon as he got up to Bolton, he made the wrong decision. Um, because it's all about the Palace DNA and things like that. So, yeah. fair enough, for Dougie, you know, being a bigger man and, and, and a bit... Yeah, and, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I wasn't aware of that, and I think you're absolutely right. If he was given the second chance, I think Palace being Palace fans, everyone would get behind him 150%, and that would never be an issue. I think it was just that worry at the back of my mind that when you knew what this club was about, which he did, and let's be honest, he went, I think, 2013. It was two or three years after, you know, let's be honest, Armageddon from our side, where we nearly went out of business, for him to know that, and go but you know as you said we all make mistakes look at me I'm Mr Classic mate getting it wrong and then try and reinvent yourself so no no fair enough I, I think that I mean 
Do you, because of because of that movement to Bolton and where a lot of Palace fans felt betrayed a little bit. I think that I, I hope that's not too strong to say that. I feel they were betrayed. Um, that I think that in his director of football role, people always then looking to scrutinise him quite a lot. So people will then bring up you know. Erdul Rakip and and Jarosel Jack and things like that, but for every Jarosel Jack, there's a Gary Cahill. Yeah, you know, for, for every every Max Meyer, there's a Vicente Cueta. Yeah, you know, so so you need to you need to have a bit of perspective. balance. Perspective. perspective, perspective is everything, and I think and I think you're right. The thing is because. <laughs> You could say this about 92 football league clubs. 91. Or, 91, sorry, 91, forgive me. Big rest up in the, peace, Barry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Barry, guys. Yeah, rest in peace. You'll come back one day, hopefully. Um, I, I, I think you're right. We are passionate, so we tend to wear our heart on our sleeve. So we get very passionate about it. But actually, when you break it down and put some perspective in it and work it out, actually, do you know what? He made a mistake. He didn't realise he was made. And he was, let's be honest, he was doing what he thought was right for him and his family and I think ultimately you know we've all got to look at it if we're all put in that situation and I don't know what his situation was and what they offered him but ultimately he, he made that decision I think you know so that you're right that can be forgiven I'm still struggling though mate to find someone who I think is right to come in No. unless Frank fancies a bigger job from Chelsea Frank you know Cobham it's nice but trust me Come down to Sellhurst, Beckenham, mate. We've got the best coffee shops. You know, Waitrose is phenomenal. <laughs> Don't ask me to spell it, but it is phenomenal. Come down, have a look at have a look at Croydon, but only if Sir Roy doesn't want it anymore. But again, that's 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 another link, isn't it, with the club? The fact that he's probably only successful at Chelsea because of the club, because he wasn't necessarily successful at Derby, was he? I think a lot of people will look at Derby and say, ultimately, given the money they spent, and given that it was a failure not to get promoted last season, you know, even though they did they did the number on Leeds in the end, but, you know, I, I think that's a fair comment, but I think I'm looking at the time... Even if you say so yourself, it's a fair comment, I, I like that. Is, <laughs> but I think looking at the time, mate, we'll probably have to call, call, yeah. draw it out of the close there, because come, right? coming up next, we have got Mr Lee Usher, a Sunderland fan, who's going to give us a bit of a, an insight from League One, um, how Sunderland's going and also we touched on the transfer window from that side but Kevin I can't thank you enough again for, for being on the podcast I've really enjoyed it I hope you've enjoyed it too mate I love doing it I'm I'm touched that some of your um, people who listeners. read this listeners yeah see listeners see it's I've got a lot to learn yeah, I've only had half a pint give me a break mate <laughs> listen you know Ruth um, yeah pure coke um Thank you, and thank you for giving me the chance, mate. It's always a pleasure, and I can talk Palace all night, as you know. So, thank you very much. No, pleasure, mate. I know our listeners, as I say, have uh, really enjoyed you listening, listening to you. So, uh, hopefully, we'll get you on again soon, as well as Mr. JC and Paul Frost as well, pleasure. hopefully, at some point. So, um, yeah, hopefully, in part two, we'll be back up with uh, Mr. Lee Usher. So, stay tuned for that. Hello and welcome back to the Six Pointer Podcast and I'm pleased to be joined by Mr Lee Usher making his third appearance on the Six Pointer Podcaster. Lee, how are you? I'm good mate, pleased to be here. We are in the city of York in uh, Holborn, London. Good atmosphere as you can hear, somebody's just showed Happy New Year. <laughs> he must have had more than what we've had a day. But uh, yeah, all good, I'm looking forward to discussing all things Crystal Palace, Sunderland and beyond excellent mate yeah well I don't know if you will actually be able to hear it because whilst we're in a, a very noisy pub I'm using a new mic so hopefully it will filter out a bit of the background noise so uh, 
But is this it stuck straight into it, mate? Because me and Kev were, were before in the pub speaking about the transfer window and we focused quite heavily on Crystal Palace, obviously. Um, but Sunderland, talk to me about their transfer window so far. How, how has it gone? Well, to be honest, we've, we've, we've had three sign-ins so far and the three sign-ins have probably covered uh, some key areas what we needed to. Um, I was just talking to you before, Luke. Sunderland, we've gone on this tremendous run. Uh, if, if you'd been talking to me in sort of Boxing Day and, and you'd, I'd, I would never have predicted this run of results we've went on but defensively we've shored up we've tightened out the back uh, we made some good signings the last transfer, transfer window and uh, we've made another good sign in this transfer window Bailey Wright uh, we've also uh, secured a good uh, acquisition up front uh, Josh Scowan who is the uh, I think I'm sure he calls himself the rat so that gives you an idea what type, what type of player he is he gets stuck in and uh, read, reading sort of some of the uh, the social media commentary from the uh, the QPR fans, it's all very positive. Uh, so he's he's played a, a good standard at the Championship, dropping down to League One. It, it, it should be um, a good signing for us. That Will Greg hasn't performed, so we needed that. And uh, there's another lad, Kyle Lafferty. I don't know if you've heard of Kyle Lafferty. So he's one of these. Like, would you describe him as a journeyman? I, I, I probably would. He's been about a little bit. And I've seen him. I've, I mean, I've. I've, I've I've seen him in a couple of games at the Stadium of Light and he looks like he'll do a job. Probably is an alternative to uh, Charlie Wyke, that sort of big type strong defender. Uh, not a lot of pace, but he'll do a job. So in terms of the signings and the squad that we'd, we'd already had, I'm, I'm quite pleased with how things are going. Now I'm talking to you on the back of a very good run of results from a Sunderland perspective so let's see what happens I think that's enough to get us over the line where we need to be though so I mean last time we had on the pod Phil Parkinson had just taken over um, I think it was literally like a, a week before and you'd lost or won five, was it lost 5-0 or won 5-0 in the cup was it uh, or in the league was it I can't remember I, might, I, can't, I can't remember I can't remember that when exactly I was on but November, wasn't it? Uh, it was the it was the uh, was that was that pre or post Parkinson when we last spoke? He just, literally just come in. Right, okay. So Phil Parkinson, I've got a picture on my phone, and it's a red and white roller coaster. And honestly, that's that's what the journey's been like with Phil Parkinson. Now, the fans were pretty di divided in terms of whether or not that was a good appointment uh, from a managerial point of view, but second Jack Ross that divided the fans as well some people thought it was too soon I'd supported Jack Ross which I think I remember seeing on your last podcast yeah. for for he's pretty much the full length he was there but at the end towards the end I thought it was time for him to go Phil Pottenson came in and I thought it was quite a decent appointment for where we were in League One if you look at his track record he, at that level he's, he's had a bit of success and we just needed yeah yeah we just needed stability so came in first couple of games looked quite decent and then it just went downhill and like I say the lead up to Christmas and then Boxing Day the results were horrendous and it honestly looked like a lot of fans thought we were going to be fighting for survival in League One but fast forward to now the last uh, the last five or six games it's just turned around uh, it's gone full circle it started for me with a performance against Lincoln um, we the first half against Lincoln a few games back best performance I've seen all season and that carried through to the next game against Wickham which we top the league 
played Wickham when they were top of the league and we absolutely hammered them 4-0 that was sort of an extra special game for me because my, my youngest Ross was mascot on that game as well so you had the full match experience and uh, to, to win but in the, in the way in which we won as well it was just attack, attack, attack not the same as Pep Guardiola attack, attack, attack but Phil Parkinson's own brand of football and it's what the fans have been crying out for we've got the team we've got the players who they should have been doing what they did to Wickham to more teams over the course of this season so the atmosphere the performance everything was there in that game and I was just talking about this to somebody else earlier on today those couple of performances I was watching them thinking you know this is going to give a lot of confidence to some of the younger players in that squad and the squad generally because playing in front of 30,000 people it doesn't matter whether you're a professional footballer or not the human beings at the end of the day and if things aren't going well it adds pressure doesn't it but now those two performances were built on them great result last night against Tranmere you probably haven't seen that uh, it's on like the local Safsi channel you have to subscribe to watch it but the pitch was horrendous it was a proper, it was like a Sunday league pitch um, the, I mean the game was a scrappy game you wouldn't say we played our best but we came away with a 1-0 win away from home and that's pushed us into fifth position in the league uh, we've got a game in hand on the top two and I think we're five points off, off those, so we'll win our next game, two points off uh, the, the top spot. All good, Luke, all good. So, so bringing it back to the transfer window, before the window opened, were there specific areas that you think that Sunderland needs to strengthen in positional-wise? Were there sort of target areas, and do you think that so far you've met that? An additional question, do you expect there to be any more business in the last 24 hours or so? So the, the two areas for me, uh, or three areas, right back, left back, we needed cover. And the forward line, we needed cover. We've signed two forwards. Great. Um, so I think that's enough to get us where we need to be. I don't think there'll be any more forwards coming in. Uh, I think we might see Will Grigg go. Uh, I think he might. There's teams come in and offer them. Um, I think he's been offered a, a drop down to a, a League Two. Salford, actually, Salford's um, offered him. Yeah, yeah. But he's, he's turned that down, doesn't want to drop down to Division Two. But I think he'll go. That might, that might free a bit more on the uh, on the wage bill. But left back, right back, we, we need cover. We've got a cracking left back and right back at the minute. Denver Hume and Luke 09. Beautiful Luke 09 at right back. But if those two get injured, we haven't got really any cover so you're relying on your centre-halves to, to move into unnatural positions for them I would love to see us sign someone who could maybe cover two, uh, two of those spots but I don't think that'll happen I think our business is done now the owner is looking to sell he's been looking to sell for a while but that's, that process has speeded up and I don't think he'll be throwing any more money into the transfer market Fair enough. I, I, I mean, I know you mentioned right back and left back. Obviously, you lost a left back in Oviedo, went back to Copenhagen, um, and there's someone who I've been watching. He's done okay since I think since he go back. I look forward to seeing more of him. I'm actually going to uh, Esper versus Copenhagen uh, in a couple of weeks, so I'll, 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 hopefully, I'll, hopefully, I'll see him see him play. I'll be able to report back more on him. But talk to me a bit more about the ownership situation because, as you say, the club's been up for sale for a while now. And there's been rumours around there being buyers left, right, and centre. Is there any movement on there? I mean, or is it just paper talk? Well, I, I, just just before going, I've got to say because you've mentioned Oviedo now, and, and looking at you over the microphone, 
you, you've got a bit of an Oviedo about you, actually. You're, you're, you're a better-looking Brian Oviedo, I think. Um, Definitely better-looking. <laughs> so, the ownership, that's been sort of, again, the roller, talk about a roller coaster. They started off, Donald, just as, as a quick whirlwind sort of uh, overview of, uh, of that. They came in, Donald and Metfin, fans loved them. Uh, went out for the beers and did what sort of like the Mike Ashley did when at Newcastle indeed themselves to the fans and then when the obviously last season didn't end how we all expected to I think they still had a bit of sort of uh, loyalty from the fans but then that changed and the, the fans have really or a big section of the fans have, have turned on Stuart Donald in particular there was a campaign just a couple of weeks back which was organised and coordinated by the three fanzines uh, Red and White Army uh, which is the trust actually the, the supporters trust um, I love Supreme and Rogue Report, they're the three big representations. Yeah, yeah. So those three combined and the, the organised the Donald Out campaign, Stuart Donald Out, and that got a bit of momentum. Uh, there was the hashtag on social media, which a lot of the fans got behind, and it did what they intended to do. And after that, Stuart Donald came out with a statement, or the club came out with a statement to say he's had enough, and he said when the fans had had enough of him, he'd walk away. And that's the position we're in now. So he's, he's actively selling the club. Uh, we've got FPP, which is the billionaires from America, still interested. They've got a £10 million loan uh, to Sunderland, or the, the, um, the, the company that Stuart Donald uh, owns. So that's, what, that's where we are at the minute. The, 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 there's new ownership being sought from the current ownership. Ideally, you would like to think these billionaires from America will come in. I've heard from sources that... They, they, I, they've got plans for not just the club but the surrounding area and investment in the surrounding area and that's a dream ticket really because whilst we're doing really well in League One now and hopefully fingers crossed we've got a, at least a top six potentially a top two finish on the cards I watch a bit of championship football Leeds in particular and the difference between the likes of a Leeds who might get promoted to our team our squad at the minute it's vast so we need money to compete at the championship level so we need new ownership really that's an interesting thing and obviously something that will play out over the next sort of hopefully coming months or so and I guess the question will then be if you had those owners in place through the transfer window had they would you bring in more players and I guess more importantly um, in real life you know if they come in before the summer transfer window, you know, given where Sunderland are, if they've been in the playoffs, automatics, you know, how much they're investing in the squad will be will be the key point, wouldn't it, really? Because, um, I mean, it's not, take no bones about it. I mean, there was the article which I sent you earlier in the day, which I listened to a bit of the EFL podcast, which came out earlier on today, Dave, recording on Thursday, the 30th of January. Um, Phil Parkinson saying about when he took charge, it was about, it was almost like trying to turn an oil tanker around is what he said um, and that it needs to be a um, recalibration of expectations almost like uh, Sunderland winning to every game because they are a, a club of humongous size in the league um, going into every game expecting to win for example and you know no team has any divine right to win any, any game in any league you know so how do you think Phil Parkinson's um, adjusted those expectations or has it been like you say a roller coaster and, and things have gone up and down but 
himself in the job do you think he's done you know a good job in terms of managing expectations and also I guess more importantly performances of the of, of the squad and the team I think Phil Parkinson my biggest criticism of Phil Parkinson is how he um, what he came out and said when, when we weren't performing well and fans fans of any club uh, they're not stupid football fans know the football and when we were playing really really bad he would come out and he would he would always concentrate on the positives instead of saying actually we were pretty shit there not in those words but we, we need to improve he, w- he was sort of drawing out the positives and I can see why maybe a new manager coming in he wants to get the dressing room on side but fans don't like that they want a bit of honesty um, in terms of tactics over the last five or six games I couldn't fault him he's, he, he's really tightened up at the back and that's important any team any good team or successful team they need to build from the back uh, midfield solid again I think in terms of bringing some confidence to the younger players he's definitely had an effect there you've seen him and I, and I watched this I see my, my son was uh, mascot for the day so I was, I was watching every second on replay and there was bits of him coming back through the tunnel and you can see him talking to the, the, the younger players as they're coming in at half time things like that I, I, I think he's that's where he probably excels you know where the fans maybe got offside a little bit was just that they want a bit of honesty from a manager when it, and him trying to tell us there was positives from a match where there was definitely no positives that, that's where he, he pissed a few people off yeah I mean I, I guess it's difficult is it, isn't it I mean me and Kevin's picked up it earlier as well we were talking about social media and obviously how prevalent that is in, in a supporters sort of mindset and unfortunately those that shout loudest tend to be those of a negative mindset so if their views aren't mimicking those of the managers then obviously then they're, they're going to be slightly upset I guess um, but I mean we've talked about the transfer window and how Sunderland have performed so far this season if we take it as read that Sunderland aren't going to make any more transfers before the end of the window before the window slams shut my little Jim White um, impression there at 11 o'clock tomorrow night um, where do you realistically see Sunderland finishing this season is it automatic or would you settle for playoffs and also I guess more importantly where would you be happy with Sunderland finishing to be honest we've got to expect a top two finish before we were underperforming and now we're we're performing where the fans expected the levels of the last four, five, six games are where, where the fans would have expected us to perform scrappy games like last night where you're playing on terrible pitches against um, sort of rugged teams if you like uh, quite physical teams the game was last night to come away with a 1-0 win that's what that's what Sunderland should have been doing this season the, the full season we had the, the learning experience last year of playing in League 1 so if you ask me where 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 I'd be happy to finish it's got to be a top two it's got to be a top two spot I would accept a, uh, a playoff position but honestly we're not a good playoff club so it would be disappointing but at the end of the day Phil Parkinson from where he came in he would the owners would probably say that's, that's your job done if you finish in the top six fans though and Phil Parkinson himself 
I'm sure on that uh, that podcast you, you you shared today, he says that given the trajectory on now, we should be at the top, and and, and I accept that. I, I think we should be. So second, first, I'll take any. So touching a bit on that though, because that's interesting. I mean, we talked about fans' expectations versus reality. Do you think there is a gap between? The expectation of the fans and what the what the what the actual team on the pitch can deliver. I mean, looking at watching, I know you're a season ticket holder, so you, so you go to games and obviously you watch the away games as well. Do you see a gap in expectations? So, I mean, obviously, if we go by expectation, Sunderland should be walking the league. Let's be honest, given the size of the club and, and the fan base and things like that. But in reality, is the squad good enough to be finishing within the top two? Based on what I've seen this season, based on the clubs I've seen come to uh, the Stadium of Light, and I've, I've watched pretty much every game on the television, away game on the television. I haven't travelled uh, to the to any away games this season, but yeah, definitely, I think I think we should be. Um, so so it would be disappointing. It would be underachieving if we don't finish in the top two from Phil Parkinson. But we've got we've got to separate as a club and what Phil Parkinson's doing here because Phil Parkinson's come in. And he's inherited the, the team on a bad run of results and he's turned that around now. So top six would probably be enough to keep Phil Parkinson in the job next season. Top two, though, realistically, is what the club should be expecting and, and, and going for. And it's funny, you know, because uh, the, uh, the last match I went to, uh, God, I can't remember who it was now, it was, uh, it was just last week, the midweek match, <laughs> mid, mid, midweek match. Um, I was sitting with a, a lad just I bumped into him who I hadn't seen for, for a while and he hadn't been to the match for a while he's one of these where he's been disillusioned he's made his birthday so they'd made an effort and he was watching it thinking you said to me this is shit it's terrible it's terrible and, and I'm thinking well actually I'm conditioned because he wasn't there last season I was though and just the odd little bright moments and this, this is what it's like being a Sunderland fan now you might watch 70, 80 89 minutes of crap football but that, that one moment that one goal whatever it makes it all worthwhile and you go home and I was walking home with my son after and I was like buzzing after just going, oh, hey we came here with a draw but we're getting beat 1-0 that draw was like could make all the difference come the end of the season whereas my mate who the last time he's been uh, was I think it was probably his Premier League and to him watching he was like oh it's dire this it's dire just depends where you take your pleasure from doesn't it no, that's, that's true, and I, I guess that it depends. I, me and Kevin touched on this earlier in the pod around sort of fans' expectations, and I guess part of it is is in relation to your age and what you've seen. I think that's that plays a big part of it, but also in terms of obviously how you expect how how the team's um, performing as well. So, given that Parkinson's been in the job since November, I'm going to say in the end of October, start of November, I think that's correct. Do you see him, if you were to get promoted, to be the man to stay in the, in the role, or do you think that the club needs to, you know, use him almost as a team to get promoted out of League One and then look to to sort of to higher grounds, maybe? Do you know that's a great question, and I'm going to be pretty brutal here because I'm going to answer it like I would a business transaction. And the reason that's a good question is that. Personally, if I was the if I was the owner of the club, I would use him to get us to the championship, and then if we've got money and we're going to attract a better quality manager, that's what I would do. And the reason I say that is, 
if you compare Marcelo Bielsa from Leeds here, who's managing Championship Leeds at the minute, to Phil Parkinson, I like the bloke, but he's no Marcelo Bielsa. I, I, I understand where you're coming from there, but I guess there needs to be a, a, a sort of a sense of calibration, the sense that you come up from League One, maybe you need to stabilise a little bit in the Championship before you look for promotion. I guess, obviously, Bielsa is being paid a hell of a lot of money at Leeds. I mean, obviously, Leeds are investing a hell of a lot. I guess... Crowd-wise, you're probably at top capacity. Probably about similar, I think you're saying. Aren't you? I think probably stadium lines probably hold same like more than more than Ellen Road, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but do, do, do you think there? I mean, realistically, if there's a sort of a middle ground. Well, this is why I said it depends on the ownership situation. So if the ownership is the same, Phil Parkinson will probably the, be the right manager to give us that stability in the championship. He's never had a team. He's had teams promoted from League One in the Championship, but he's never, he's never, yeah, yeah. He's, and he's had a cracking cup run with Bradford, and people forget that you know Phil Parkinson, and he's he's had some Premier League scouts from a League One Bradford in the cup, Sunderland being one of them. Um, so, but what he's never done is take clubs to that next level. Now, I might be being harsh here, but if you've got an, a new ownership coming in, and they've got billions of pounds, of which. A few million could be spent on strengthening the team. I think we've got to be more ambitious. The fans pay a lot of money still to go and watch Sunderland, not just for the match tickets, but everything that comes with that. The five pound or four pound pint, which is expensive in the northeast, <laughs> the uh, five pound pie, whatever, they still pay a lot of money. So I think they need to be rewarded with a decent manager who realistically could get ourselves with a different playing style because a different playing style is needed to get you out of the championship now if you look at the championship the last couple of years compared to years before it's diff different standard altogether you've got some fantastic teams we have to compete with them not just on a monetary level but on a tactical level as well and what I've seen is Phil Parkinson will get us out of League One potentially but I don't think he would get us out of the championship that's interesting but I mean also especially interesting when you mentioned about the pies there as well because I'm a big fan of the chicken butty pie <laughs> And it, you go around to certain certain grounds, and there are certain grounds that can serve up a very good chicken butty pie. Hillsborough being one of the best. Um, Port no Hillsborough, sorry Hillsborough. Sheffield Shef 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 Wednesday um, was one of the best chicken butty pies I've ever had. In fact, my brother, um, I think I mentioned this on the podcast last week. Actually, missed um, Survival Sunday 2010, second of May. Um, he missed uh, Sheffield Wednesday's first goal because he went off early to get a chicken butty pie, but. Um, <laughs> It was one of the things, you know, when you're a ground hop and you have to go and try a pie every ground, so it was one of them. But, um, but yeah, no, I, hopefully the, the stand of the pie at, at Stadium Light is, 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 is sort of improving. I know it's, uh, in terms of, I'm going off on a complete um, sort of a <laughs> tangent here, maybe it's the beer, but the best pie I've ever had probably is between Hillsborough and Brighton as well. Like Brighton as well, because they, they, they serve a lot of their own sort of like homemade pies. I think like, how would you rate on a scale of one to ten? The pies. Do you, do you do you indulge in a pie at the same light? And, and how would you rate them? I, I do like a pie. Um, they've gone downhill over the last couple of years. The filling isn't as uh, as filling is what it used to be. I, I don't know. I think they're their own brand actually. But you get the uh, you check. You mentioned the chicken body. They do one of them. Uh, the steak pie and stuff like that. It's all right, but it's not what it was. It's not a Premiership pie. It's a League One pie. <laughs> 
Well, fair enough. I mean, again, I guess as, as you drop down through the leagues, you expect a bit of a bit of a drop in standard, but maybe not in the drop of pie. But Lee, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate your time on the Six Point Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Um, obviously, really, really interesting always to get a different fan's view. Um, a lot of our listeners have been uh, crying out for that as well. So, thank you very much for your time on the pod. Um, hopefully, you'll join us again. Uh, later on in the season um, with Mr David Hilperty as well shout out to David and, and, and the Celtic Massive um, hopefully when he, when he comes down south we'll, get, we'll do uh, the Dream Team pod again and get us all on there but um, again thank you very much for your time mate I'll look forward to that and yeah delighted to come back on and we also need to get you onto the Game of Two Scores podcast with my uh, good friend Mr David Hall who uh, we're going to Elche over the next uh, I think it's a four or five weeks time we go to Elche so follow us on that and uh, we'll get you to do a, a game of two scarves pod and yes looking forward to seeing David Hilfie again get the band back together excellent yeah no I'm more, more than happy to do a, do a pod on the game of two scarves and a shout out to the game of two scarves podcast anyone that isn't subscribed to them please do um, it's, a, it's a podcast that uh, has got two best mates both Sunderland and, and uh, Newcastle fans um, and it certainly uh, provides an interesting dynamic I should say to, to the way the podcast is run so I, I'd highly recommend that but Lee thank you very much for your time cheers mate hello and welcome back to part three of the six point podcast um, we're sitting here my, myself Luke Tool, my brother Matthew Tool. Um, we're sitting just before the Sheffield United game um, what a difference 24 hours can make um, of course I'm referring back to part one of the podcast where Kevin and I were talking about Palace transfers it looked like Nathan Ferguson uh, was a done deal uh, I don't think anyone could have foreseen um, him failing the medical or an issue with his knee as it, as it appeared there was and then um, Gerald Bowen going to West Ham um, I guess a disappointing window for Crystal Palace in the end then um, how do you feel about it Matthew? Firstly thanks to Kev for jinxing it yeah oh. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, it's disappointing, isn't it, to be sitting here today after such um, promise over the last few days about uh, potential signings coming in. Two sort of young, up-and-coming players, lots of promise, lots of um, opportunity for the future, and, and neither are kind of here. Um, so it's disappointing. It's um, It feels like another missed opportunity. It's another... Uh, kick for Roy really I think you know I feel really sorry for him because again he has to work miracles in the second half of the year with um, what really one one substantial uh, incoming um, I suppose the positivity we have to hang on to is the fact that uh, the team today looks a lot stronger and the bench actually has you know really um, valid options and um, the ability to kind of bring people on who will affect and change the game uh, but but yeah still a, a sour taste you, I just hope that it doesn't um, become you know, more of a uh, protest, a, a yeah. kickback from the fans than, than than is kind of needed, really. Well, this this is a point I made, I think, only on Twitter as well, is that I think Palace fans are always at their best when they're sort of backs against the wall. You know, and this you can turn this into one of those situations. Yes, it's disappointing, but it's not Roy Hodgson's fault. It's not the not the player the players' fault. We need to get behind them now, uh, not siege mentality, but you know, almost like we need to thrive off this. Um, opportunity really to, to get behind the team I think um, talking of the team um, a much changed team really haven't we D- Joel Ward's come back in um, Patrick Barnard Holt perhaps controversially given that Duo Rudyweld was given player of the month uh, Luka Midovoyevic's come back in uh, and Tekkers as well and for the first time in a long time a very strong bench Matthew 
Yeah, so Kaite is obviously on the chart has a chance to influence it. Townsend, we might see him later on. I guess you know he's probably not ready for ninety minutes to start, uh, but that's positive as well. Like you say, the player of the month on the bench as well, and and two very good defenders as well, uh, and Max Meyer. Uh, so uh, so yeah, op- options like we said to change it up, strength there. Um, but against again, you know, we need it because Sheffield United are a good team. They they play good football. They've um, not just had a a good start to the season they've kind of kicked it on from there so um, it's going to be an interesting one it's windy as well so it's going to be an interesting game of, of football but you know yeah fingers fingers crossed for a, a good 90 minutes fingers crossed that the Palace faithful get behind uh, I'm going to go for one all yeah, I, I, I think I think it's got draw written over it. I think Sheffield United have drawn seven away games all season, and I take um, that. I, t- I, t- I take that because I, I, against yeah. against them, decent team, and and you know to get us back on 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 the right track. I'm going to go score draw two two exciting Ooh. game. Um, Techers with two. Techers yeah, two, lovely. Like All right, well fingers crossed. Um, we're we're back with a uh, a positive result, mate. At the Palace. At the Palace. Hello and welcome back to part four of the Six Pointer podcast. Uh, Luke Till here with Matthew Tyrrell. Matthew, we've just witnessed Crystal Palace losing one nil at home to uh, Sheffield wins, uh, Sheffield United, I should say. Sorry, um, a freak goal. I mean, we we haven't seen it ourselves yet because we were down the other end. I I I thought maybe Asante Guaita dropped it or it went straight in. But overall, it was a scrappy game, wasn't it? It was uh, a game of two halves, as they say. Palace in the first half, I thought were really good. We had loads of the ball, maybe unusually so. Maybe, that, maybe that's what surprised us so much at half time. But yeah, we had lots of the ball, and I thought we created um, a few chances. There was a few sort of cross cross goal um, uh, opportunities that kind of were put across the, in the box, and there was just no one there to finish finish them. And you know, half time, I was relatively pleased with the with the performance. Uh, Second half, just a bit flat really. Sheffield United came back into it and to be fair to them were probably the better team in the second half. They had more of the ball than they did in the first half. Although Palace, I think I just saw that over 60%, over 65% possession overall. So um, it, it was it was disappointing that we didn't in the first half convert the chances that we that we had. And, um, you know, uh, Roy made a few, few um, changes late on. Townsend came on with, what, 20 minutes to go or so, I think. Um, didn't really affect affect much, and Sheffield United kind of dug in and yeah, Sheffield United dug in and held on for for the win. And it was it was one of those ones where um, we could have played all night and not scored. I thought. Yeah, I, th- I think I, I I think a draw would probably would have been a fair result, as you say, on balance of the, of, of the game. But it's it's one of those ones, and it? it's compounding Palace's fans' misery and and after after a disappointing transfer window. Interesting. The way Sheffield United set up um, tactically, um, Sander Berre, I think is or Berger, I think is the way you pronounce his name. The big Norwegian midfielder, yeah, six foot five, um, came in for twenty-two million from Genk. He started, and it was quite interesting. I mean, within the first couple of minutes, he absolutely smashed Wilf. Um, and Wilf was hobbling around for a good couple of minutes after that and then Wilf was almost scared to go near him again and I think that did well in sort of nullifying the threat but then there was an issue with their right back number two who took Wilf out once got booked and again took him out I think it was about 10-15 minutes later and we all thought it was another booking but the referee really didn't didn't seem to get hold of the game today and there was a few incidents where the referee was probably the centre stage really wasn't it so yeah you should I, I yeah you the benefit of seeing it back um, obviously but we've we've only saw it live and it, it did look like the second one was a yellow card but I think that was at the second in the set no yeah, it was in the first time wasn't first it up, yeah. 
later in the first half, and it looked like that should have been a second yellow because because the ref did set the set a tone and set set a precedent by an early booking. I think it was their number two that got that booking, wasn't it? So yeah, it was it was um it that was that was surprising, and then obviously we had the the whole VAR um uh coming to play later on with the, the Joe Ward one, which when I saw it live, I must admit I did think a red card was surprising. I, I think I said turned to you at the point and said the only reason that could be a red card is if he's gone studs up. Yeah. Um, and, and and fair play to the referee, he um, overturned his original decision and and you know took the took the balls to have a look at the screen. Is has there, has there been any other occasions in the Premier League when the screen's been used? Because I know you said to me previously, the guidance they've been given referees is to not use the screen because it slows things down. Do you know of any other occasions? I I think there might have been a bit of a step change since the Palace Derby game actually, where that was the first time. The first time in English football, I think it was used in the Derby game, and I, I, I don't know of any other occasion when it has been used. So it looks like Sellers Park seems to be a favourite place for, for referees to go and check, check in VAR on the on the screen. And yeah, whilst whilst people will give the referee stick for getting the decision wrong in the first place, like you say, you've got to give them credit for for having the the balls to overturn it and say fair enough, that wasn't a red card. Um, let's get on with the game. But then I think Sheffield United did all they could to, to sort of to make the game niggly and, and and you know perfect away performance for them really, wasn't it? I mean, get 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 a surprise goal from a corner where it was it was a. Did he go down as a Vicente Guaita OG in the end? It looked like the ball just came across from the corner and he went up and caught it and dropped it. That's what it looked like. We will have to have a look back and see. But but yes, I mean they had a few other opportunities. But you're you're right. It was a bit of a smash and grab, uh, although we smashed it in for them maybe. <laughs> um, but but yeah, they, they 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 yeah. If you're if you're a Sheffield United fan, you'd be really happy with that because you came, you battled, you saw out a Palace dominant first half, mm. got more into it in the second half. But at the end of the day, you've walked away with three points and. You know that that's also considering the the VAR thing. You know, you know, a weaker team would have been affected by that VAR thing because you know, thinking ten men here we go, uh, with a good chunk of the game to go. But um, no, they 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 dug in and they they're, they're a good team. You know, they they when they had the ball, um, they they looked good. I think they just saw it out, didn't they? It's, there was a lot of frustration today, um, even in the first half from the from the home crowd, and it's. You do you do worry slightly that we're starting to get an expectation that we will dominate and win every home game, mm. and, and it, it, there's going to be times when teams like Sheffield United come, they're well drilled, well versed, they're, they're very good at what they do, and they can you know like they did today see out a first half, st- stick in it despite having very little of the ball. A lot like Palace's away performances actually. Mm. Uh, and you know, get get lucky or grab a goal and and and, and nick a win. It's going to happen now. You know, now and then we're not gonna we're not gonna create lots of chances and, and put them away. And you know, you know, this is the thing as well. With, this is why the window's disappointing because I think you said to me just just now on the on the walk out of the ground that you know maybe if we'd have Wickham on the bench we could have brought him on to affect things. But even he um, is not gonna he's not gonna affect it in the way in which he's gonna turn the game around. We haven't got that apart from Wilf. We haven't got that opportunity to to change the game by bringing people off the bench. So, bench bench looks stronger, and you know there are more options. But you know Roy's limited in what he's got to work with in terms of game changes. People are going to get the ball. Max Meyer again came on. He had a couple of good chances. I thought probably one of his better games. But he's not going to start. You know he's not he's not he's not a first eleven player. And he's 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 going to look nice, going to look tidy, but again, he's not going to affect the game enough. No, I, I think obviously after next week you've got Everton away, so St. Tusson wouldn't be able to play anyway. But after that, then you have got 
an option because I don't think he's going to start with Senktoson and Christian Benteke. So then you will potentially have that option to bring someone from the bench. I mean, God forbid, either one of those gets injured, then we're then we're in trouble. Um, but just going back to the, to the Guaita incident, I mean, obviously it was a goalkeeping error. If if, if it does go down as that. Um, I think that I, I listen to a, a podcast called the Goalkeepers Union podcast, and they talk a bit a lot about that about um, goalkeepers um, gaining credit throughout the season. So obviously, you pull off certain saves, you win your, your team points, and you gain credit. And I think that he's done enough of that for us to say, right, yeah. fair enough, you can have that one. You know, um, it's three points, you know, down the drain. But at the same time, he's probably saved us more than that over the course of the season, hasn't he? Very much so. And you know, he 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 necessarily didn't lose the game for Palace today. No. Palace's inability to to get on the ball and um, you know make the dominance count was what lost us the game. Of course, the the goal means we we go away one nil. But you know, not to say Sheffield United wouldn't have wouldn't have got a goal from other means. So um, and yeah, you're you're right. Um, you know, the amount of games that he has affected in a positive stance, and even later on, didn't he? They had a free kick that he made a fantastic save from. So you know, it's not as if um, he didn't um, you know make a contribution in the positive sense today. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if that was a different goalkeeper, Hennessy, for example, where he's made multiple areas in, in runs of games that he's had before for us, you'd kind of be more um, critical. But but no, for Gaeta, no, it's 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 just a bad a bad moment, a bad bad day at the office, um, and it's a shame that it kind of it went the way it did. Um, yeah. But you know, we had enough chances. We did at the other end for him to not be taking the blame. You know. Benteke at times got on the ball in the air I thought he was brilliant today mm. I thought he won I think 9 out of 10 chances you know he was winning them uh, he was causing their defenders problems and they, they had a big back back forward or big back centre back pairing mm. uh, big team all over really actually but he um, he did well against them it's just in that final third it's just he had one chance in the first half remember they showed it back at half time that you know, you thought he just smashed it across the face of the goal, maybe. Go across goal, don't necessarily go for a corner, because he went for the near corner and it went in the, the side netting. And a few opportunities when we were at the other end, he just wasn't in the box. It was like he was holding his run a bit too much. Whether that's confidence, or indeed that's the way they drilled, I don't know. I, th- I think it's probably a bit of confidence and also a bit of frustration the way that the game was being played out. He'd maybe want to drop deeper to get involved in the play. We saw AU doing that quite a lot as well. Um, so potentially it was that, but... Um, there we go, you know, on to the next one. And the next week we've got an early kickoff, uh, Everton away. Um, so we'll be covering that one um, from the pub because it's on, I think it's BT Sports, a 12.30 kickoff. Uh, yeah. Birthday celebrations as well, your, your birthday, Matthew. So we're having a few beers to celebrate that one as well. So um, should be an interesting podcast, that's for sure. And you wanted to mention something as well around, around our pod. What, 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 what you've, 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 you've eagle-eyed, I've not noticed this, but is this, go on, what number is this? You need to start by giving the number of the pod. Uh, and the intro because yeah it's number 50 this one and I know you've done a bumper special uh, with, a, with a section with a couple of uh, guests earlier so um, you know we, we make it a special bumper edition as, as the 50th edition so yeah well done Luke you know uh, you and uh, obviously Richard started it off and, and have you know got, got to number 50 which is a you know, a mammoth achievement and got a lot of dedication and hard work goes into it, I know. And you're building up a nice little fan base, I know, with your reviews and, uh, you know, and your Twitter following as well, which is... Oh, yeah, so we've actually got a Twitter page set up now and I'm encouraging people if they want to get in contact to uh, ask any questions or just to got any comments um, on the podcast, we've got at Six Pointer Podcast or myself at Luke TYR as well if you want to get in contact. Um, but, yeah, I mean, my original plan was to do a bit of a... 
an annual one because we're going off to Espio in a couple of weeks uh, to watch Espio versus uh, FC Copenhagen um, and that will mark a year from uh, exactly a year from when we did it the first time we went to watch Espio Bromby so um, that will be the pod on tour again which uh, I'm sure something to look forward to um, Matthew thanks very much for your time um, despite the result I hope you enjoy your evening and Palace fans as well I hope everyone enjoys their evening and uh, keep you... the faith keep the faith yeah. Roy, Roy, will, will, Roy will get us through this you know even though he's been given nothing to work for the second half of the season he will ensure that we have a good second half I'm sure of that I'm sure mate yeah. cheers up the Palace up the Palace The Six Pointer Podcast <laughs>